Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams, and it's my pleasure to be here at the McKimmon Center in Raleigh today at our sixth annual Eggs and Issue Breakfast, and to have four amazing panelists that have come in to share their insights and their expertise as we look at revisiting uh, the top issue that was released in our top education issues today around the 25-year-old Leandro case that um, has now moved to a different level with a recent uh, consent order by Judge Lee. Um, to introduce uh, our panelists, on your right, my left, we have Ann McCall, a distinguished educational attorney and North Carolina scholar who has been immensely involved in the Leandro decision uh, since its uh, very first ruling in 1997. To her right, your left, Alan Duncan, who is currently our vice chairman of our State Board of Education and also a member of the Governor's uh, Commission on Sound Basic Education. And of course, the State Board is one of the state defendants uh, in the Leandro lawsuit. And he's also been on the, the Governor's Commission. Uh, to my next right, we have Dr. Anthony Jackson, who's uh, the superintendent of the Vance County Public Schools uh, and also is our 2020 uh, North Carolina Craig Phillips State Superintendent of the Year, serving in that role this year. And as um, many of you know, um, he is also in Vance County, which is one of the five original plaintiff uh, school districts. And finally, on your far left, uh, Mr. Tom Oxholm, Vice President of Finance and Administration for Wake Stone Corporation here in Wake County, and a member of the Board of the Directors of the Public School Forum of North Carolina. Again, each of these folks, as you've seen in their bio, bring a wealth of uh, experiences, insights, and uh, uh, just wisdom to this larger issue as we look at it today. Um, as our panel unfolds here, we want to make sure that there's time for them to uh, talk about those issues that are, that are critical to them, but also there may be some time where I may ask the panelists to follow up on something that one of the other panelists said if they'd like to, and we'll just um, go from there. So with that, let's begin with Miss um, McCall. Um, as an attorney and as a North Carolina constitutional scholar, you've been engaged with this landmark decision since 1997. What reflections do you have now, 25 years into it, of what's developed over the past two decades with Leandro? It has been a long journey. And uh, we can really see how the case has evolved over these 25 years. And, uh, we think about it in terms of the substance of the right to education. We can take something like the uh, right to quality teachers and see how in this most recent ruling, uh, we see some new information. So the issue around having teachers of color, this is the first time we've acknowledged that as a part of a constitutional right. So that's quite significant. It's always been an issue of policy. We can go from the Rosenwald schools to Brown versus Board to now but now it's a part of the constitutional discussion. Uh, if we took another issue like finance, obviously that's been a part of the journey as well. We can go back to the year 2000 when Judge Manning looked at the finance system and said that it's actually good in terms of the way it operates. And in fact, he said that the strength of the system is in its flexibility. Now I'll go 25 years later and in the West Ed report, it identifies all the ways in which funding allotments have become more restricted and flexibility has been reduced, so much so that now the ruling is that in fact the system is broken and needs to be fixed. And the issues around the sufficiency of funding, similarly, 
have gone from sort of behind the scenes at something that might be needed to uh, be a part of a remedial plan to now the, the order says that additional funding is needed by the state. So that, those are really significant issues around the substance, um, the fact that we've got a WestEd report with a uh, huge amount of information, we've got parties agreeing to what's in the report as it shows up in the, re in the ruling, um, and having a definite plan of action that has a lot of teeth in it, we're in a very different place. Thank you. Mr. Duncan, um, five of the seven components in the consent order start with the phrase, a system of. How do you see systems thinking in impacting and affecting the state board and other uh, members of the state um, in looking at how do they respond to the consent order gearing towards that March 30th response? Well, first of all, the State Board of Education embraces what's in this order and embraces the needs of our children. Uh, these have been pointed out by Judge Lee and Judge Manning before him, and these are things we need to change. The structures can be looked at in many different ways, or the systems, and let me just illustrate two primary ways I think the State Board looks at it. The first one is, in terms of structure, we want a system in place that provides for a sound basic education, is sustainable, and creates an environment for success. We can do that. If we come together in the state, we can do that. And that system will not prohibit trying different things to try to make things work, but regardless of whatever else we try, we will have a sound basic approach in place. And just a, an example, two of the places where that's set up are for teachers and principals, I think areas we all agree are critical to the success of our children. With respect to uh, our teachers and principals, we would say that we need to have a seamless system. We need strong education preparation programs, followed by a consistent recruitment approach, followed by a licensing process that assures high-quality educators but is done in an effective, efficient manner, followed by professional development, supporting professional development, particularly for young teachers but for all teachers, and meaningful, uh, meaningful professional development that brings success to our students. Then we need to focus on retention, and I think if we do the first four things, we're already a lot farther down the road on retention than we can otherwise be. And then finally, we need to focus on compensation for our talent. These folks are tremendously talented. To educators, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. And we need to appropriately find the fair and appropriate place for educators in our system. A second way to look at it that would be important to the board in terms of systems would be equity. All children in all, in all locations in our state, whatever their circumstances are, are unique and precious. And we need to bring to those children what their needs are in an equitable basis. So whatever system is in place needs to include a system that takes into account that not all child, not every child rather, has a specific set of needs. They're different for all of our children. And we need to be able to have an appropriate system set up to take into account the different unique needs of our children. Superintendent Jackson, we've got a few minutes before we go to our first break. How about sharing with us from your perspective as the superintendent of one of the original plaintiffs, uh, how the state will respond to the, intention, uh, the uh, consent order in both in the short term and in the long term? What are your expectations? I would hope that we would uh, not miss this opportunity, not miss this opportunity to clarify our values not miss this opportunity 
to clarify why we're doing what we, we're doing. We're spending a lot of time talking about what and who and how. We need to get back to why. Why is it important for every single child to have a sound basic education in this state? It's because our economic viability depends upon it. We need to recognize that up front. We need to, I would hope that this will be a clarion call for courageous action. Uh, that we would be willing to innovate in ways that we've never been able to, where we will take down barriers and say, we can do things that we've never thought about. This should not be an opportunity for us to polish up the old school system and say we've done something great. This should be an opportunity for us to disrupt what we think we know and to do something absolutely amazing for this next generation of children. And in some ways, build a system to honor risk. Most importantly, I think we've got to build a system that personalizes education for every single child. You were talking about equity. For me, equity is simple. Equity is grace. Equity is the opportunity for us to stop building systems to systematically, uh, or barriers that would systematically marginalize a, a group of kids. And so when we can build those systems that would say that every single child who starts this, this uh, experiment we call education could come out at the end and be a productive person, then in fact we've done the work. Then Leandro is realized. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will take this opportunity to really grab a hold of the moral imperative and do what's right for children. Do what's right for children every single day in every single classroom. It's time for us to take a quick commercial break. When we return in one minute, we're going to jump right in with Mr. Oxholm and hear his business perspective on the importance of a sound basic education for every child. We'll be right back. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters, coming from the sixth annual Eggs and Issues um, convening here in Raleigh. Our panelists are discussing the North Carolina school funding decision known as Leandro and how the recent consent order by Judge Lee is setting in motion a short and long-term plan of action to ensure that our state meets the obligations that it has constitutionally provide every student a sound basic education. We're delighted to turn to Mr. Oxholm at this time and uh, your experience as a business leader, a public school uh, board of education member, and a nonprofit leader offers all of us a unique perspective. Um, as a business and community leader, what do you see as the most significant aspects of the Leandro decision in moving forward with the consent order? We need to raise taxes. If you restore the 2.5% to 5%, that, that brings $700 more million into the state coffers. If you restore the rate to 6.9%, that's one and a quarter billion. That's money that I'm sure Tony and others would like to have a part of. And we need to get to that. We also need to invest our most important assets, which are our teachers and our product, our students. And so to do that, let's make a pay scale that's relevant to today's world can't offer a, a career path of 35,000 as beginning pay with a top pay scale of 50,000, no benefits for advanced degrees, that's absurd. Who would want to go into that career? And we can fix that. As far as the students, we can't have our, our struggling students with no support system, no, no nurses, no teaching assistants, no psychologists, social workers, all the things we did away with, they need to be brought back right now to help those struggling students get through all their schooling so they can, all students can be successful. 
So let's get the funding going. Let's get started. Thank you. Um, Mr. Duncan, there's a lot of things that have taken place over the process to, to get here. Uh, the governor's commission, the Leandro decisions itself, now the consent order. What's the relationship between those as you see it as vice chairman of the State Board of Education? How do they work together or align with one another? Well, I would add one more to that, the State Board Strategic Plan, which has uh, been worked on hard in the last year. And I would say that they're basically aligned. Yes, you can find some differences. Certainly in the details, you can find some differences. But they're basically aligned if you look at the pillars across the board of these items. And that the, the more interesting question comes from the, the details. So where do we go from here? There are a lot of involved parties. Uh, there is the legislature, obviously, is a critical component. The governor's uh, exec executive branch is a critical component. Uh, Department of Social Services is a critical component for early childhood. Um, DFFS is a critical component. We have several critical components, the university system, the community college system. We need to come together to work through the details of the alignment. And as we come together, then I think we can work together for our children. And there is a common denominator. We all take a constitutional oath. In our system of government, the courts are, are set forth as their duty provide interpretation of law and the Constitution. The courts are doing their job in providing interpretation of our Constitution and what it means for a sound public education. We all follow the oath to follow the Constitution as part of our duties and our obligations. And if we do that, we will then be focused on the right things, which are a policy to help our children as we go forward. It is a constitutional imperative. It is an economic development imperative. It's a moral imperative. To those who have the least, we owe the most. And I don't think there's any debate that is our children. And now we have the opportunity to do something different about it. It's a wonderful opportunity. We as North Carolinians cannot let it pass. Thank you. Dr. Jackson, when you look at the West Ed report and you look at the Leandro decision and then the consent order, there's an imperative there with a specific focus on meeting the most economic needs of the most economically disadvantaged and our minority students across the state. What would that look like if it was achieved or when it's achieved? I think, first of all, it's going to look like every single child uh, and every single family in this state uh, would have the ability uh, to thank a, 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 the, the education system of the state for allowing their children to realize their hopes and dreams. Uh, and for me, that's important. But I think at its root, it means that those of us who have been given the mantle of leadership are going to have to stop playing uh, lip service uh, to this whole notion of doing right by children. I grew up in a household where my, my mother said to me often, you cannot talk your way out of situations you behave yourself into. And, and I, I want to say that to, to everyone in this room. We can continue to talk about this moral imperative, but at some point, as you just heard, you have to make investments. Investments in children and investments in the process. So that at the end, right now, we are running into the situation of going to the bank every time and, and hearing that we have insufficient funds when we are trying to make withdrawals at the end of the pipeline in the workforce. We have to make 
those necessary investments as early as early childhood and before. If we would spend as much time on those pipelines, I believe we will realize it, not only for children of color and minority children uh, uh, and, and, and uh, economically disadvantaged children, we will realize this for all children. I tell people all the time, I'm a little brown boy from Washington, D.C. who grew up in the projects. I should not be sitting here. It was through education and people caring enough for me that I get to take this seat. We owe that to the next generation of children. Thank you. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Ann McCall about who really has the state duty obligation, the responsibility and the accountability for the state duty being met. Take a short break. Thank you. Welcome back to Education Matters. We're taping from the McKimmon Center here in Raleigh at the sixth annual Public School Forum Eggs and Issues Breakfast. Our next question is for Ann McCall. Um, and in the consent order, the Judge Lee states that it's the state's duty to implement the physical, programmatic, and strategic steps necessary to ensure these seven components of the consent order are met. So who has the responsibility and the accountability to meet the state's duty? So Leandro has always included two state defendants. One is the state itself, and the other is the State Board of Education. And the state has always meant the executive and the legislative branches. Um, and in this opinion, he is clear to note that the state has numerous institutions and agencies. And so as the plan is developed, he expects that those specific actors are also identified. So the reach of the state is great in this. Um, and even local boards of education, uh, from Judge Manning talking about them as really a convenience of the state, the state can look to the local boards to be a part of this plan, and, and they should. Tom, we're going to come back to you uh, and go back to Leandro 1 from 1997. And the Supreme Court said that an education that does not serve the purpose of preparing students to participate and compete in the society in which they live and work is devoid of substance and is constitutionally inadequate. As a business leader, community leader, how essential are the Leandro recommendations in impacting the competitiveness of the future North Carolina workforce and our goal through My Future NC? So to set the stage for you, I'm in the stone quarry business, so go ahead and shut your eyes and the first thing you see is Fred Flintstone. It's not changed a whole lot in the public's mind. But even in the stone quarry business, our technology and innovation that's occurred over the last 20, 25 years is dramatic. To give you an idea, our least expensive piece of mobile equipment is $850,000, and most of the people who are driving them are maybe high school educated and challenged just to read the operator's manual. So a sound basic education, even to do our entry-level position, is pretty critical. But we also need engineers, mechanics, all kinds of jobs that are out there that I'm not sure high schools or pre-K-12 can be relied upon to meet that need. So we need community colleges, we need universities, and we need sound basic education. Just plant this in your seat. As we look forward to our business and we see the changes coming, we'd like the school system and the planners, the state board, to be looking ahead instead of always looking backwards trying to fix the underfunding problem. So if we ever got properly funded, we might be able to see a problem coming. 
within 10 years, all of our trucks that we use in a quarry are going to be automated. So our number one job position is going to disappear. And imagine that on the highway system. All those trucks that you're seeing within 20 years will have no drivers. And so that's millions and millions of jobs are going to disappear. And what are we doing as a school system in our state to prepare for the changes that are coming? And I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we have any money. We don't have people looking ahead. We don't have teachers being trained to prepare people for jobs other than finishing your high school education and prepared for college. So we'd like to see the state put enough funding into our schools of education to look forward and look at the trends and the changes that are coming. They're going to impact every single one of us, especially business people. So we're going to go to a speed round, a minute or less, to each of you to respond to, if you'd like, what you see as the greatest challenge we face as a state to move this forward. One minute or less. Who's up? Go ahead. Ann. Ann, go ahead. So the court asked for us to have systemic, sustained approaches. That's never been easy for us or probably anywhere else in the country. Um, we've done it with the Excellent Schools Act, but to get that kind of systemic, sustained approach is really going to re require the cooperation of everyone. Very good. Leadership for a wholehearted commitment to being a child-centered state, the envy of all other states because we take care of our children first. Excellent. Willingness and flexibility to see every single child as an original piece of art and recognizing clearly that if we're not careful, this emergency uh, uh, this will become a crisis. I heard uh, someone say the other day, an emergency is nothing, is, an emergency is the absence of options. And so we, we, we want it to become an opportunity for us. So running for office is really hard, and service in a public elected official is really hard. I've done it once. That was enough for me. So, but being reelected means you can't do the worst thing when that's raise taxes in this society. So we need people willing to run for office and say, you know what, we need to raise taxes, and we need to put it in all the areas that we need more funding in our state. Number one is education. You all can list the others, health care, et cetera. But we need public officials to come together and realize it's now time to take the great state of North Carolina and make our infrastructure better from students to health care to roads. So as we get ready to wind down today, going back to the original case and the original finding, the sound basic education, we've got to have the competent, caring teacher in every classroom. We have, that, have to have that highly qualified school leader working with them, and we have to have the resources available, the human resources, the technical resources, and the financial resources to make that happen. I'd like us to thank our wonderful panelists for sharing with us today the thoughts that they have. After 25 years of litigation and negotiation, North Carolina elected leaders and our policy leaders have a generational opportunity to make a difference. Our panelists have been fabulous in pointing out their perspective, their insights. They represent the leadership of North Carolina on this stage right here today, from the business community, the local community, the legal community, and the policymaking community. North Carolina can do this. We must do it, and we will do it. Will you please join me in giving a round of applause to our panelists? As a reminder, you too may go out to ncforum.org 
Our top issues report will be there. Our most current local school finance study will be there, as well as previous shows of Education Matters and future shows. We hope you'll stay connected with us. Thank you.